When it comes to the plant-based eating debate, there's more to consider than just healthy or unhealthy. Of course, we want to eat things that make us feel good and generate energy to keep us going, but there's also a major environmental component that drives a lot of people to a plant-focused diet. But you don't have to give up some of your faves entirely. Impossible Foods makes meat from plants. They're solving the meat problem with more meat. By creating delicious meat from plants that's better for you and the planet, Impossible lets you enjoy some of your favorite meaty products with a plant-based twist. Ground beef, homestyle meatballs, sausage patties, all made from plants. And that's just a few of their delicious and versatile options. No more tension between craving meat but not wanting to eat so much of it or sacrificing your carnivorous faves for your health. Indulge in nutrient-packed, plant-based goodness and feel good doing it. Check out impossiblefoods.com to see how you can help solve the meat problem with more meat. That's I-M-P-O-S-S-I-B-L-E-F-O-O-D-S dot com. Betches Media presents He's in the building! Afternoon Tea with host Sammy Sage. Is that what you're saying? Please proceed, Governor. Presented by the Betches Sub Podcast. Better hope there's a lot of girls listening to this with the volume turned down. Your weekly dose of political therapy. Cardi... That's what I've been doing my whole life. And now, with this week's guest... Well, there were three of us in this marriage, so it was a bit crowded. Your host, Sammy Sage. Welcome to today's episode of Afternoon Tea, your companion to the morning announcements and political therapy session brought to you by The Betches Sup. Today's guest is Blair Amani. Blair is a critically acclaimed historian, educator, and influencer living at the intersections of Black, bisexual, and Muslim identity. And she's the author of her forthcoming book, Read This to Get Smarter. We're here to talk about Blair's new book, The Stresses and Rewards of Being an Educator on the Internet, and how the past several years have been a time of unlearning and relearning for all of us. With that, let's get the tea from Blair. Welcome back to the Betches Suck, Blair. Hello. What's up, bitches? I cannot wait to get into things. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, we are thrilled to have you. You have your Instagram has been thriving since the last time we had you on and you are really just getting into everything these days. Trying to. I mean, all the good things, you know, I try to stay out of the drama, you know, being on Instagram and having your like page blow up and everything. Anytime something pops off, it's like coworker drama. Like I work for myself, but at the same time, I feel like the other influencers and like the other pages are my coworkers in the space. So it's been pretty cool. It's definitely not what I expected doing as a kid, partially because Instagram didn't exist yet. Right. No, totally. We should definitely talk about, you know, some of the like interesting dynamics of being like a social creator and talking about, you know, these really heavy topics on social media. Honestly, I've noticed like even in, you know, like the year or so or two years that I've been following you, your your Smarter in Seconds videos have gotten like really like you've taken them to another level that is noticeable. Thank you. I will say I'm that. really trying. So my partner, Akeem, uh, my fiance, Akeem, is a performance studies person, performance studies scholar. And so when they came to me and were like, Blair, you should probably start, you know, changing the sets, adding different outfits, maybe some prop changes. I was like, absolutely not. And then it wasn't until my assistant and my best friend, Ren, who's known me since 2013, was like, girl, you need to get over yourself and listen to your mans because they study performance studies. And I'm like, okay, facts. So um, we started going to these different sets around LA and we're using this um, thing called peer space and like hashtag not sponsored, but peer space is really cool because you can like literally get different sets and it's, it's been cool. The only thing is that because it's a set, 
other people are filming sometimes. So that's a little bit hectic, but it's also cool. It's very Los Angeles. Um, but I want to elevate it, right? Like just because I haven't been picked up by like PBS or Netflix hit me up though, doesn't mean that I can't like elevate it myself and doing these different like activities and stuff. Like we're about to film one for Hispanic heritage month. Um, and just continue to evolve and include people. Um, but oh my goodness, like I feel I was so worried it was going to be a one hit wonder situation. So you have to keep elevating. So you don't have that. Well, I will say it's really noticeable. Like you've made them longer. You've started involving new people. You have stepped up the outfits and the sets, which is like, I mean, the information has also, you know, increased. And honestly, I'm really, really proud of what you're doing there. Um, But okay. Before we, before we get into all the excitement around your new book, do you want to just sort of give the audience like, you know, a quick rundown about yourself, anything you want them to know in case they have not yet, you know, been aware of your account and everything you're doing? No problem. Absolutely. I think that my niche uh, as it relates to like education, the internet, et cetera, is teaching people complex concepts in the least amount of time necessary. And what I mean by that is I have my series Smarter in Seconds that we were just discussing where I try to condense things like consent, misinformation and disinformation, critical thinking, gender, these kind of like lofty concepts that sometimes we throw around the word, but we don't necessarily dig into what it means and then convey that in like a colorful, fun way that engages people like in K through 12 schools to like graduate students and like professionals. And my whole thing is that there's always some connection that helps us like flip that switch to being like, oh, I get it. So I try to like get to that point of whatever concept it is and then convey that in a cute, colorful manner. And I have a little jingle, um, which is so fun too, created by Katie Cronin. And I love to work with women, you know, diverse folks. I'm all about like supporting folks. Um, If you come to my page, you can definitely tell that Instagram is my job. Sorry, my dog just yawned. You could definitely tell that Instagram is my job. That's my whole thing. Um, That's my full-time gig. I've also been able to hire interns and I emphasize hire because you got to pay your interns. Um, But I try to do influencing in the most ethical way possible because I think anytime something relates to women, especially when it comes to like, you know, beauty, like fashion, influencing, people really like dull it down and they're like, oh no, that's, that's like so one-sided. That's so, you know, one-dimensional, but it's not, it's so much bigger than that. And I try to be a good custodian of the time that people spend with me learning, growing, et cetera. I'm black, I'm bisexual, I'm Muslim. I teach uh, from a place of humility. I'm always thinking about intersectionality and anti-oppression work. But, you know, outside of that, I love comedy. I love Elton John. I collect hats. Um, and you can always come to me for a good makeup look, though I'm not necessarily a beauty influencer per se, but I dabble. Yeah, no, you definitely dabble and you dabble well. Thank so, yeah, so I guess walk us through like how, what goes into making one of those videos? Because obviously like the, you know, the product seems, you know, is just a real, but like, I think there are a lot of misconceptions a lot of them misogynistic about how much work actually goes into making like social content. And especially when you are trying to deal with these delicate topics and like you said, be the best possible custodian of the time that people are spending with you. Well, it's funny you say that because I think my dad would consider himself to be a feminist, but he did have some assumptions when it came to creating social content. He's been in a couple different videos. Um, He's in one that's all about, you know, emergency evacuation. He's done one on the Tulsa massacre. He was in my Juneteenth video and, you know, dear old dad. 
fun loving guy you know he's 71 he doesn't look it he looks 50 um but like for him it's just like wow my daughter's living in the future but at the same time it must be super easy and like when he comes back and we have my ring light and my two light setups uh he was doing the lines and was like oh this is actually a challenge and it is because you want to strike the right balance so like from beginning to end um it usually takes now like a few days um but the actual filming time is about 30 minutes because even though it's like 30 to 45 seconds there's so many ums and ahs and like you know, I want to make sure that I'm striking the right tone. I'm not coming to something like coping with grief with smarter in seconds, coping with grief. Like I want to be more respectful because it's a heavy subject, but I don't want to be so heavy that people are clicking away. Um, And so I'm striking that balance, but it basically starts with the idea. So one that I'm working on that has a longer lead time is a lesson on drag. And the reason why I'm spending so much time with that is because I really want to make sure I'm hitting all the points. I'm honoring it because what I'm always remembering is that with smarter in seconds, sometimes that's like a person's entry point into like the history of something. And so I can't be flippant. I have to maximize every single word that I use, which sounds really intense. And it is because I've seen moments where I don't strike that balance and I'm like, okay, I've spent several hours on this, but because at the beginning I didn't, I wasn't like really thinking about the consequences or the results of what could happen. Now I have to start all over. So with this, it's starting with the script, getting into the history, learning about how drag was started by freed enslaved black men um, who freed formerly enslaved black men, rather, who were, you know, in Baltimore, Philadelphia, people who are doing these balls and what it's evolved to today. That's also the long lead time because I'm getting a lace front mustache so that I can do drag. I used to do drag in college. My name was Harrison Balls because I'm a classy dame. Um, and I was saying Elton John, of course. Um, and sometimes Kenny Chesney randomly, but that's that's so far behind. But anyway, um, and so it's getting all those things prepared, working with folks like Shangela, uh, who's known for being on Drag Race and, you know, creating her whole empire around drag. Um, And then also hiring and paying people accordingly. So when I'm actually filming, sometimes I'm going to a set, sometimes I'm filming, sometimes I'm filming against this giant wardrobe that I have, but I'm trying to mix it up for the drag one. It's definitely going to be very dynamic and adding like elements of camp, but also getting that definition in a way where there's not necessarily a consensus because that's hard to do with literally anything, but at least one that's open enough where people want to learn more. And I did a, um, I did a survey with my smarties and 99% of people who, who watch smarter in seconds learn something and 95% want to learn more. And so that's like great metrics. Um, so after we have the, I love the, I love the smarty census. I will say just, no, I'm just complimenting the smarty census, the naming, the, the branding of it. It's, Wonderful. <laughs> Thank you. Shout out to my interns on that. My agent was like, Blair, you should like work with the firm to figure out how to work with Gen Z. And I was like, or I could just hire two Gen Z years. And it's been a dream. Shout out to Zara and shout out to Maggie. And it also really taught me what I need to be teaching about because sometimes my smarter seconds don't perform well. And you can't always blame the algorithm when your shit doesn't pop. Sometimes it's because the people aren't there to see that. They want to see what they came to you for originally, which for me is usually race and racism, LGBTQ rights, etc. So anyway, after I film it, I also send emails out teaching other folks how to film it because even though a lot of folks have seen my smarter in seconds sometimes when they turn in their like final video I'm like this is wrong (laughs) but with love and so we have to get that together then there's mixing and sound editing I do all the editing myself uh for smarter in seconds and then captioning because captioning is absolutely so key and then it goes to publish and the hardest thing about posting it is that sometimes people want to destroy like they'll be like I hate this you didn't do this right and I'm just like oh my goodness it was so fun spending 10 hours on this and to have somebody like tear it to pieces within the first five minutes but part of that is doing that extra diligence at the beginning so that I know that I have a strong foundation to stand on so that when people are coming up 
it's because there's a typo or it's because something wasn't synced correctly or there was an Instagram glitch, not because it was something on my end. Although typos are definitely on my end. I mean, you're literally like basically making a movie. I mean, you're putting all the efforts that would be necessary to make 30 seconds of a movie just like on a, a, a smaller scale, but it really is incredible. Thank you. Hey, American Fever Dream listeners, I'm here to tell you that there is no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like, and Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. Whether you need a Mother's Day gift for the quilter or a birthday present for the vintage hunter, there is something for everyone on Etsy. Some of the things I like to buy on Etsy have little dachshunds on them or are four dachshunds. Dottie's got a whole litany of new sweaters and harnesses and all kinds of fun stuff that we get lots of compliments on when we're out on walks. A gifting moment is always just around the corner, whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you. Gift Mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Just a question before we talk about your book, like you mentioned sort of like dealing with the internet drama, like staying out of it. Like, how does that, I guess, like affect your mental health? Because like, I mean, I, my, my account is nowhere near as large as yours. And like, I still find it like stressful when there's like controversial things. And it's like, am I saying enough? Should I say less? Should I, you know, and it's, it, it's a lot to balance, especially, I mean, you know, it's a privilege to even have a platform, but like, it's definitely like, a challenge. It certainly is. And I think that having like the combination of like expertise and lived experience is where I really feel like that's who needs to speak up on what. And then the rest of us can amplify. Um, but like, there's a lot of things that I don't chime in on. Like if something literally doesn't affect me or like, is this going to be recorded in history is sometimes a high bar. And that can give us a lot of perspective. Like this is very consequential. This really affects people right now. Um, but how much do I need to speak on it? Cause at the end of the day, I have to really consider myself a business and like, that's very creepy and capitalistic. So I shouldn't say business. Maybe I'll say like a brand or like just my, my personhood, like people view me sometimes as a symbol or a resource more than they view me as a person. And I don't allow myself to look at myself that way. Like everything I do has to be like something that I personally sign on to just because it's going on my big Instagram page doesn't mean it's different from that. Um, so it takes that same type of like seriousness that sometimes we hold with like business and professionalism, but doing that for yourself. And that's what I mean by looking at it kind of in a business context. So I'll give the example of the crisis in Afghanistan with the Taliban taking over and, you know, dismantling the Afghan government. Um, my interns Wakilzada is a refugee from Afghanistan. And over the course of working with her this past summer, and I rehired her this fall, I've learned so much about her experience. And we just got on an Instagram live and went ahead and just discussed it from her area of expertise. She also studies diplomacy and, you know, global political uh, and international relations. And we're able to get to the ethos of it. Like, what is this? How is this affecting real people? How is this, you know, consequential and 
sometimes those things need to happen in a longer form rather than it being a 30 second. And I have to always remember that sometimes people think because something's in 30 or 40 seconds that it makes it simple and it's not that deep, but everything is extremely deep. And particularly when it relates to like life and death, there's other things like doing a lesson on abortion. That's something where it does need to be kind of understood, not in this big, scary um, situation, but honestly, just as a simple basic medically necessary and humanistically necessary medical service that must be safe and legal. So I can do that in 30 seconds. But if something comes up, I have to remember what's my workload also because I don't want to try to be speaking up so often that I'm end up like that. I end up, uh, diluting myself. Like I have to be really strategic because the worst thing is to try to rush to meet a deadline and then not following through. And so um, it's, it's kind of an amalgamation of all those things, but I have a chart that I made for myself. It's like my, my like guide map. It's like a flow chart. It's like, does it make sense? Does it help community? Does it align with my ethics? Uh, who does it help? Who does it harm? And after I go through those things and I'm like, okay, well, actually I'm not the best person, but I can elevate others. Right. I think that's actually such a great filter to put everything through because it does get challenging, especially when you have people being like, why haven't you said anything about X? And you want to be like, well, that's not really, I don't really know. And I don't want to like add ignorance to what's something that's important to people. The other thing that I do, and I'm like cracking up at myself because I love that I do this, is I read every message in an Elmo voice, particularly if it's like a critical message. And like, think about Elmo. Like Elmo is like a four-year-old, like supposed to be a four-year-old puppet who now has like a late night talk show on HBO. You go off, Elmo. Um, (laughs) But like when I'm reading a message, like I'll do my little Elmo voice. So hopefully it's not super cringe. But anyway, it was like, Miss Blair, Elmo wants to know why you're erasing Black people. You haven't posted about Black people in a week. And I'm like, (laughs) oh, Elmo. Elmo, Miss Blair is black. Miss Blair is always posting about black people because it's always from Blair's perspective. (laughs) Oh, Elmo didn't know. And I'm like, oh, Elmo, it's actually in my bio. Oh, Elmo's just learning how to read, you know, like stuff like that. And I just like play it in my head that way. And that way I'm not defensive every single time because I mean, you remember being in school, like you had frustrated teachers and that really would affect you. Like, especially when you're like, oh, I have a question on this. And the teacher's like, it's on the syllabus. That is correct. That is the correct answer for where you can find the information, but it doesn't make you feel continue to be enthusiastic as a learner. So I'm constantly being like, okay, let's take a step back. All right. How did we get here? And it's a challenge. It's a challenge of my life to do that every single time with every interaction. But I really feel like it helps the ecosystem. And I even see in the comments, people coming to each other with that same type of like compassionate kindergarten teacher that's not talking down to you, but is just talking at your level. Right, right. That's actually, that's very, I love that, that, um, that coping mechanism, if you will. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So let's talk about your book, read this to get smarter. It is coming out. What is the release date of your book? October 26th, which is a week before my birthday. My birthday is Halloween. I'm very excited. Oh, that's really fun. Okay. So tell us, tell us all about the book, the process of writing the book. Why should we, why should we buy the book? Why should we pre-order the so, book right now? You know, when like you go to high school or like you're going to college and like some grandma gets you, oh, the places you'll go by Dr. Seuss, who is like hella anti-Semitic. So like we shouldn't support (laughs) anyway, but cancel Dr. Seuss anyway. But like people give you that book. It's like the ceremony that's supposed to happen. And it's like, oh, the places you'll go. But it's not really like helping you deal with roommate drama or like interpersonal relationships or like racism or like, you know, gender and sexuality. It's not really giving you anything more than you already had. What is that book about? 
Exactly. And so read this <laughs> to get smarter is like your starter pack and also your continuing pack for like having these tough conversations. Like say that grandma doesn't totally understand your cousin who's trans, like maybe get them this book as well as a book by a trans author, I suggest, uh, or a non-binary author such as gender not conforming scholar, Alok Ved Menon. Um, you know, they are absolutely excellent. Like evolving the conversations to actually meet people where they are, but also kind of pull them to where they need to go. And so if we can think of smarter in seconds as like the 30 second to 45 second appetizer, your meal is read this to get smarter. So like not just race is a construct, race is made up by humans, but like here's a timeline of how it happened and how this one guy named Carl Aeneas decided that there were six types of people, including Homo sapiens monstrosus and Homo sapiens ferris for monster people and wild people. Like it's getting into just what I feel like is necessary deep enough to get to what like the heart of like what is necessary to understand how messed up this is and then take our understandings beyond assumptions to actual things that actually make sense for a more compassionate and smarter world. I'm really excited to read that. I also think what you said about how like thinking about it as like your pre-college book, like something that you can just kind of give people as a resource. I think that makes a lot of sense, especially because if you think about like where most people are when they go to college, they're not really exposed. Maybe they're exposed to what their hometown and like home culture is like, but they're going to encounter like all types of, hopefully all types of people when they go to college. And you probably just want to be sensitive to like what you might encounter and like, or just like aware or like understand yourself. Like I start my book with identity and I talk about ourselves. Like, I don't feel that we can have any type of conversation, whether it's anti-racism, I discuss like anti-Semitism, uh, fighting anti-Semitism and looking at just all these different aspects of like gender, intersectionality, class, if we don't understand ourselves. And there's such a push for like, I think a lot of people, regardless if they're like going to work or going to school or just interacting to kind of leave themselves in their baggage on a shelf and then come into that space. But we are our whole selves at all times. And so we should also learn how to understand ourselves. So I start with like your personal self. That's how you understand yourself. And then there's your social self, which is how other people understand you. Sometimes those don't match. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about critical thinking. Let's talk about how to find good sources and how you can understand that my book is well-sourced and like my qualifications. Then it goes into a chapter on relationships. So after we look at ourselves, we're looking at each other and our connections. Then we're looking at class, which is like how we value ourselves and each other and the flaws in there. Um, Disability, which is a similar conversation, how we can uh, shift our understandings of self so that they're not oppressive to ourselves or to others. Then we look at race and then we look at sex, gender, and sexual orientation. And I start the book being like, welcome. Thanks for being here. And at the end, I'm like, congratulations, you made it. Because I just feel like when you're reading, it's such, and when you're learning, it's so vulnerable. And so to really honor that, I wanted to like make it feel like a personal discussion. And it was vulnerable for me to write too. And I hope that comes through. Right. I mean, even when you talk about things like identity, that's not something that really necessarily is addressed, you know, when you're, I, you know, it's really never addressed unless you kind of seek out like a place to address that or curiosity about it. But it is something that I think would benefit people to understand like earlier on in their lives. We all know your hair and skin can sway your mood and impact your day in ways you can't underestimate. Sometimes what starts as a bad hair day quickly turns into a bad everything else day. I'd never found beauty products that really understood my needs, but ever since I switched to custom hair and skin routine with pros, I've noticed so many benefits. Healthier hair and skin, yes, but beyond that too. 
Since I started using Pros, I've noticed consistently healthy hair. Even with all I put it through with the heat tools and the hairsprays to get this pompadour sky high, it smells great, it looks fancy on the shelf, and I like that it has my name right on it. This formula is made for V. Pros is made for people, not hair and skin types. Personalization is rooted in everything they do, from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. From millions of possible formulas, only one is uniquely yours or mine. And Pros isn't just better for you. It's better for the planet. They're a certified B Corp, cruelty-free, and the first and only carbon-neutral custom beauty brand. They even have a review and refine tool, which learns from my feedback and adjusts my formula to keep up with the seasons and changes in my life. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription at pros.com slash feverdream. So get your free consultation, then 50% off at pros.com slash feverdream. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash feverdream. How did you decide like what to put into the book and what not to put into the book? Because, you know, it is, there is so much opportunity to really include anything you want. Yeah, it was, it was tough for sure. Like, I think there's going to be a lot of people who are like, Blair, you're Muslim. Why didn't you talk about Islamophobia? You've talked about anti-Semitism. And it's like, for me, I, just because I, I embody an identity doesn't mean that it's my job to educate about that identity. I do talk about like, you know, religion you know, briefly in the context of belief, but I wanted to cover anti-Semitism, particularly seeing after, um, you know, the January 6th protests and protests, sorry, the January 6th <laughs> kerfuffle fuckery yeah. shit show. Attempted um, coup. Yes. The attempted coup, the insurrection. I'm so yeah. sorry for accidentally calling it protest. Not correct. Anyway. So the January 6th insurrection, seeing how there was a failure to really address anti-Semitism in that moment, but also over the high holidays the year previously with so much like, you know, anti-Semitic violence. And so getting to like the core of why this is super intertwined with white supremacy and racism was really important to me. So it was a matter of it being timely, also trying to fill some gaps in understanding and then challenging myself as a writer as well. I wanted to start the book with the section on sex, gender and sexual orientation because that's my forte. And then race and racism, also my forte. I am a like newer writer on subjects of like class capitalism and racial capitalism, but I was able to rely on folks like Dr. Sharice Burden Stelly, who's done immense work with Gerald Horn and looking at like the crux of these conversations in a more complex way. I didn't want to write a chapter on relationships, but I had to. It was like one of those things where it's like, oh man, we're definitely going to have to have this chapter to make this rest of the book have context. And that's why it's so great to have an editor. My editor is Caitlin Ketchum and she was always just like pulling me to like grow more into and you know delve into subjects more deeply and the last thing I'll say about like what I choose to write about and not is like for conversations that are really unique to a specific community like the black community for example I tried to steer away from getting into conversations that need to be held within the community before they can be held outside of the community because the last thing I want to do is like be voyeuristic in the work that I'm doing where it's like, oh, look at what this community is going through. Like, I'm very aware that while I'm not writing or creating works for, you know, mostly privileged people, a lot of my followers are white women who are in different career fields. And I still have diversity within that. But I'm also very mindful of not like letting um, my platform betray my like connections to community, which is sometimes a hard balance to strike, but I feel like it's really necessary because sometimes healing has to happen within a community in order for that to be discussed externally. And that's okay. Right. Right. I mean, I think just when you get an account 
that with any scale, that's going to be like, it's a heavy thing because it's just putting it out there to the whole world rather than just like, you know, some sort of inner circle. But so what ended up being, what is your favorite part of the book? Like, what are you most excited to be for people to read? My favorite part of the book is my timeline of the invention of race because it's literally just cuckoo bananas. Like it doesn't make any sense. (laughs) Like, I mean, it's what governs our whole lives. Like from where your family was probably able to like get housing to where my family was able to get housing. My grandfather who adopted my mother was a Jewish Romanian man. And the opportunities that he had, uh, Jewish Romanian American that he had were so different from my father's father, my grandfather, on my dad's side, who was a black man and still understanding that both of them were oppressed by that same system of white supremacy and capitalism, but also understanding like the historical consequences of these things. Um, but like literally some dude, Carl Aeneas, who we learn about in, in biology class, we learn all his great stuff, but we don't learn his like reckless mess ups. Like one thing that's interesting about accountability slash cancel culture is that like, we know everybody's dirty laundry at all times and there's toxicity in that but there's also awareness in that. I don't know. I'm not trying to make a statement on that, but like the thing is with these folks who have defined the scientific realm, the psychology realm, et cetera, so much of it goes unchallenged to the point where there's things like, um, you know, black people's skull size being incorrectly tied to brain capacity. And that actually being something that the NFL just recently backed away from. And it's literal pseudoscience, like the United States military saying that black pilots couldn't reach what white pilots were doing in 1925 and how that gets so swept under the rug. All of these things are so ne- like necessary to discuss, like, um, the, the context of all of it is so interesting. But the other thing that I'm excited about is that I'm like, Scientific racist and botanist Carl Aeneas, scientific racist Johann Blumenbach, scientific racist and father of evolutionary theory Charles Darwin. And it's like kind of in like FU, but it's also like really necessary for us to understand these people's values because we can't be putting people on a pedestal or just having ideologies go unchallenged without understanding where those worldviews came from. I try to be really transparent in my own self. Like when I went to college, I thought we were living in a post-racial society. I grew up lighter skinned. And as the only black kid in my school, when Obama was becoming president, I was totally like, oh, this will be fine. Thank God I went to school in Louisiana. It was traumatic, but it was really necessary for me to get my feet wet and understand like, no, this sheltered upbringing you had isn't representative of the whole world. And I think that um, I'm, I'm just really excited that like, this is kind of a showcase for my growth as an educator, but also so full of tools and resources, like how to apologize, how to set boundaries. What are the signs of an abusive relationship and making that available at $16.99, which I think there's like different, like, you know, offers and stuff on different sites. So shop around, but being able to make that so accessible when most textbooks at school are like over a hundred dollars was really exciting for me. Right. I mean, totally issues of like, abusive relationships, boundaries, like being able to like label your own emotions, like all that shit is just like, you have to figure it out. Maybe you can pay a therapist or like use talk space or something, but (laughs) those are not things that like anyone really, um, there's no memo sent about those things. And the interesting thing is that like, so my younger sister is autistic and bipolar. And when she was in special ed, she would go to these different classes and I would go with her because my parents felt it was very important for us to not be separated in our educational journeys. And that's where I learned those things. Like, how do you apologize? What should you be looking for in a friend? What is your friendship equation, which I discussed in the book? Like, why can we have more than one best friend? 
is it okay if we grow apart as friends? Does that mean the whole friendship belie? No, it doesn't. It just means you grew. Those things are taught to people who society views as being at a quote unquote deficit. And I put quotes very much around that because that's such an ableist idea. But those things benefit everybody. Everybody benefits from having accommodations that are specific to their needs and skill sets. But what we end up having is like, you learn the golden rule and that's it if you're in mainstream classes. And it's like, treat others the way you want to be treated. Okay. That would require me to like mind read. How about I learn what are the boundaries that you need to be held in a healthy relationship? And it made me an awkward kid. I'm not going to lie. Like when I met my best friend, Ren, I was like, hi, I'm Blair. Would you like to be friends? And that's like a very easy communication way of making friends, but it's not, it's not normalized. We have one of the strongest friendships. Like we're business partners and we're best friends. Like, and we've been doing this. We're going on our second year doing this around what I do on Instagram, but we are not necessarily taught like, Hey, when you did that, it hurt my feelings. Please don't do it in the future. And to the point where my mom who studied to be a social worker and is the one that put me in all these therapy classes and stuff, it's like, Blair, you set a lot of boundaries. And I'm like, yeah, but it also works. Like it weirds her out and it's her profession because it's so uncommon. Right. Right. It's totally like not yeah, at some point you have to figure it out. It's just expected that you'll be fine. But it's that's so interesting. We actually have something in common. I my my younger brother had autism. He actually passed away, but it is it definitely really shaped my experience of so many things. I like we can't even like list them at this point, but just um understanding that, you know, commonality is definitely really um it's meaningful. And I think for me, the biggest lesson was that like, I had teachers who were always like, what's wrong with your sister? Why did like, and I, as a young kid, like six years old, had to stand up to teachers that were being ableist to my sister and then question that authority because, you know, the idea of like respecting your elders when they're disrespectful is something my parents never subscribed to. But more than that, it was learning that everybody needs accommodations. And it's not a matter of the person being a problem. It's a matter of the structures that we have only fitting certain types of people. And that's how I was raised. And that's a lot of things that I think people are starting to learn, especially with coronavirus, shifting how people understand ability and pre-existing conditions and accommodations and all these things. And that's something I grew up with. And I'm sure you grew up with too. Um, But I'm just really excited to be able to pass those things on. The funny thing is that as I was writing the book, I was talking, I was talking about how Chelsea, you know, needs boundaries, especially when it comes to like coming to a a gathering. And at the end of like me getting ready to turn in the book, Chelsea was like, actually, I don't want to be in your book. Is that okay? And I was like, yeah, of course, no problem. Shit. (laughs) And so I had to like go in and remove her name and stuff. And I had like this big hole of text that I was able to like accommodate, but it was just so funny because I'm like, I of course will respect your boundaries. Um, but it's, it's just been, it's been really cool to like have my life experiences and I'm sure yours as well, ladder up to these like larger conversations and be able to share that with people. Totally. And having like putting together the pieces of things that I like experienced when I was younger and then seeing how they actually like fit sort of, I would say like, you know, the changes in the way the world has started to think about different things like ableism, but it also has been interesting. And maybe you share this experience is seeing how much, how much the like diagnosis of autism has changed since we were younger, like, like, when we were younger, like my mom was worried that like my brother would never get to like 
do anything that he would never be able to speak. And like, there were doctors that told her like, he will never yes, speak. That he was will the never problem. Have a I'm sure life. they were blaming your mom. Like there was such a yeah. big thing with like, oh, it's your fault. It was part of the During gestational birth. process. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, you know, the fact is that when it comes to any disability or neurodiversity, I have ADHD, for example, and anxiety, like that's just the fact of my brain chemistry. So how do I work with that and move forward? And with Chelsea, it was a constant battle. My parents, like my mom is the queen of writing a strongly worded letter and CCing everybody and faxing it to them. So it's the first thing on their desk in the morning. Shout out to fax machines, yeah. RIP. Um, but like, I remember people telling me that like, and we ended up moving to a different school district. We went to Carver Elementary, which I always have to shout out because Liz Hollingsworth was the principal and she made such a compassionate space. We were the only black kids in the school and Chelsea was one of the few disabled kids in the school. And so we, I could have grown up feeling very like as a, like an outsider, but I never did. And she always would come and like sit in the classrooms just to make sure that things were going how they were supposed to go. In hindsight, I'm sure she was trying to make sure that nobody said anything racist or ableist around us. And heck, it, it worked, you know, but like as a yeah. kid, I was just able to be a kid. And one thing that I'll always remember is um, Chelsea had a seizure when we were like in second grade. I was in second grade. She was younger than me. And the principal, she came up and she did it in a way where I didn't get called to the principal's office. She actually just came to me on the playground and she's like, hey, Blair, I heard about what happened to Chelsea. If that happens again, do you want to go with her to the hospital? And I was like, yes. And it was just like getting chills again. And it was just like exactly what I needed in that moment. Um, Chelsea didn't end up having more seizures after that. Um, but it was like, I had a plan and I wasn't just thinking about this anxiousness. And then I could go back to being a kid where I have a plan for if something happens, but it's not necessarily, uh, you know, doom and gloom or this anxiety thing. And I think that's exactly what everybody needs. Like for me having ADHD, being able to get the Tova test, which is how you figure out you have ADHD to do that path, all these diagnoses have been so stigmatized. And I think we're finally getting to a place, or at least I hope we are, where there's so many neurodiverse creators and educators like Dylan Caput, who's uh, at Trans Teacher Tales, actually autistic, uh, Fidgets and Fries, people of all ages and different backgrounds, Auntie Nell, um, Lauren Melissa, who I hung out with in New York recently, who are just able to articulate these things like fidgeting, that is actually a self-regulating mechanism. It's, it's okay if you can't sit still. That's yeah. actually very regular. And it's not an issue of it being something wrong with somebody. It's it being wrong with society that we haven't made space for these people and that we haven't understood that there's no one default way that humans exist. And we have to stop building things in a way where we're living, we're trying to fulfill a lie when our reality is so much more vibrant than that. Yeah, it's so true. And what you said about having, you know, the right educators with you and with your sister, it's like, I feel the same way, but the sad thing is that like, it's a question of like, did you get lucky like, and have mm. that person or like have the privilege to be, to have the access to that person or whatever it is. And it's like, that should be available as the default, not like, you know, it shouldn't just, it shouldn't require like a strongly worded letter, like every day, which also my mom did that too. Like, you know, always calling, you know, just, yeah. And like, not every parent has like the time or the ability or like the health for that. Like, it's just so it's really, you know, but honestly, I agree with you that there has been a big shift and, you know, I, you know, I'm excited to see where it goes from there. Me too. And I think like one of the, the coolest things of it is like, 
as people gain more access into these spaces and are like the folks who do have that privilege, right? It's a matter of like not shutting a door behind you, but like, you know, knocking it down, getting rid of the door, like shut down that wall. Uh, why are we inviting people to the table? Why is there a table to begin with? And I think that's why that shift is happening. And so it's really exciting to see. But I definitely talk about that in the book. Like the whole idea of I, I ha- the reason why I have it set up how I have in the book, self, relationships, um, class, and then disability is because we have to understand how classism defines how we view each other and then how it connects to ableism with disability with us viewing people as lesser because they're less functional in scare quotes or less able in scare quotes and what that actually means. That means that we as a society value productivity over people. And we see that all the time in every way, every single day. And it's horrible, but we have to understand the implications of it and the history of it in order to fight that. And in my opinion, after writing my book, I don't think it's just going to take policy change. I think we're going to have to change hearts and minds. And like, it's like my chronic, you know, like pie in the sky, like, you know, dream sense. But it's also like, I think what's going to be necessary because you can legislate things all day long, but if people don't fundamentally change their, their hearts to be less racist, to be not racist at all, ideally, <laughs> to be not ableist at all, then the policies don't have any teeth. And I think we can just have a more compassionate society. But in writing this book, I did come to the conclusion that humanity is fundamentally good. And it's just a lot of capitalism and colonization that's been the problem, which is exciting to me because I feel I think we can fix it. You know, I just think that everybody else has to get smarter about it first because there's so much that like we're up against that a lot of folks don't know the context of. And once we get to that context, maybe we'll get better. Who knows? Right. I also feel like even in just like the past, you know, few years, you know, adulthood, like just learning that people are so like complicated and there's so many layers to everybody and their experiences. And it's hard to, you know, it, you're, it's tempting to put people in a box and it like is easy and it can be correct sometimes, but it's, um, yeah, it, it is not really accurate. We all dread the what should we have for dinner question. I mean, I know I do. I love a home-cooked meal, but I don't always have the time, energy, or groceries to make it happen. Being able to feast on a delicious meal without the long prep and cook times is what drew me to Home Chef over the other guys. Home Chef's meals are effortless, so I can spend less time trying to be Top Chef and more time watching it. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. Whether you prefer classic meal kits with pre-portioned ingredients and easy instructions, speedy recipes ready in less than 30 minutes, oven-ready kits with pre-chopped ingredients, or quick microwave meals that assemble in minutes, Home Chef has you covered for delicious meals without the hassle. Home Chef has over 30 options a week and serves a variety of dietary needs, so you never have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. For a limited time, Home Chef is offering our listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and of course, free shipping on your first box. Just go to homechef.com slash fever dream. That's homechef.com slash fever dream for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard that right. Homechef.com slash fever dream must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. When it comes to the plant-based eating debate, there's more to consider than just healthy or unhealthy. Of course, we want to eat things that make us feel good and generate energy to keep us going. But there's also a major environmental component that drives a lot of people to a plant-focused diet. But you don't have to give up some of your faves entirely. Impossible Foods makes meat from plants. They're solving the meat problem with more meat. By creating delicious meat from plants that's better for you and the planet, Impossible lets you enjoy some of your favorite meaty products with a plant-based twist. Ground beef? 
homestyle meatballs, sausage patties, all made from plants. And that's just a few of their delicious and versatile options. No more tension between craving meat but not wanting to eat so much of it or sacrificing your carnivorous faves for your health. Indulge in nutrient-packed, plant-based goodness and feel good doing it. Check out impossiblefoods.com to see how you can help solve the meat problem with more meat. That's I-M-P-O-S-S-I-B-L-E-F-O-O-D-S.com. Just to, just to close out, hopefully from, you know, this book, people will sort of unlearn some, some beliefs that they may have held. Where does someone start? Like, where would you tell someone to start? Because honestly, like, I do feel that it is quite daunting, you know, when you're first exposed to these things and, you know, you don't really know what to begin with or like kind of how to first make that shift. So where would you tell people to begin? Well, as I do with the book, I say to start with yourself. And what I mean by that isn't just like, oh, who am I? What are my identities? But like, be really, really, really honest with yourself. Like it's uncomfortable to do, but it's so necessary because you wake up with you, you go to sleep with you, you should know you. And so when you're thinking about things like, oh, I have this perception of people and that's super uncomfortable to be aware of. Maybe it's a racist perception, a sexist perception, a homophobic or transphobic perception. Why? And is that necessary? Like I was talking to my mom on the couch last night and I was talking about, um, was one of my friends who's trans and I was talking about like her body of work. And my mom was like, well, I just don't need to know that she's trans. And I'm just like, okay. And she's like, you know, portraying it kind of at, I'm always putting my mom on blast when I do interviews, but she's aware of it. Um, it's like, same. It's like, I think there's just like, they're not there yet with like the generation is generally not there yet with the understanding. And like, I do believe that they can get there though. No, they can't. So we did get there last night. And so I was like, well, mom, why do you say that? And she's like, well, she's, you know, she's trans. She's a woman. She's a woman, period. I'm like, great. Awesome. But also in her case, it's very important for you to know that she's trans because it's part of her identity. Like, I'm sure that there's parts of you that you want people to know. Like my mom, you know, if you look at her, you might think that she's white, but she is black. Um, And so I was like, well, would you feel kind of a race if somebody didn't receive you as a black woman? And she's like, oh, of course that pissed me off. And I'm like, awesome. We're getting somewhere. Like you might be uncomfortable with aspects of identity but your discomfort isn't that person's responsibility. It's our responsibility to get to that. And of course, she's very annoyed with it because it's like every time we talk, it's like, okay, another breakthrough. It's like Oprah with me on the couch all the time. But I think it's really exciting and important because we can grow so much. Like I've noticed myself, you know, growing up very privileged when I'm writing about classism, I'm also experiencing that like, I'm not thinking about the consequences of classism. And I'm working on that. And I'm always very open about how I'm working on those things too, as I talk about it uh, throughout the book, because the first step is yourself. And you also have to fight the urge to not do the thing where it's like, oh, I just learned about this. Awesome. I'm going to go police everybody in my friend group and be like, you're being racist. You're being problematic because that is us deflecting. It's more important, I think, for us to understand and then work and live by example. And then as those conversations come up to work through it, but not necessarily self-appoint as the wokest person, because as soon as you can get rid of the idea that, oh man, I should know, I feel bad that I don't know, you're just preventing yourself from getting to know, to get smarter. Um, And so just like, you know, give yourself a break, forgive yourself. You're not perfect. You're never going to be perfect. That's fine. How do we work with it? That's awesome. Thank you so much, Blair. Can you let everyone know where to find you and remind them where and when to get your book? 
Definitely. So you can find me on Instagram at Blair Imani. That's B-L-A-I-R. I am A-N-I. And you can always engage with me over DMs, comments, etc. My book, Read This to Get Smarter, comes out on October 26th. And I'm also launching a beauty line. Remember when I said that I dabble in beauty? So that'll be coming out eventually. So stay tuned for that as well. Um, but I really just hope that anybody who's listening to this takes away that, you know, learning is a blessing, not a burden. The fact that we have so much to see uh, and so much to do in this world. And in fact, there's more things to do than can ever be done. The Lion King is actually really exciting. And so let's try to do the most and be the best people that we can be not only for ourselves, but for each other. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Blair. Thank you. Afternoon Tea is produced by Sean Kilby and Jorge Morales-Pico. Our editor is Stacey Wong. Social media by Amanda Duberman. Guest booking by Nicole Pellegrino. Be sure to follow at Betches underscore SUP on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And send us your emails to SUPPod at Betches.com. Betches.